Hello, I'm Zeb Neuwirth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented, value-based, and humanistic system of health. The views I express on the podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Folks, uh, this is a singularly unusual and unprecedented episode. August 17th, 2022, which is the day of the posting of this episode, is actually the fifth anniversary of the uh, Creating a New Healthcare podcast series. I I typically don't uh, post in August, but I thought it would be a great opportunity to spend a few minutes reflecting on the Creating a New Healthcare podcast journey and to share those reflections with you. As always, I am super interested in your thoughts. So please respond on LinkedIn and Twitter and and let me know what you thought and any ideas you have that come off of this uh, conversation. Now, I was planning to host this by myself, but then I thought how much more interesting and fun it would be to have someone else to speak with, especially someone who is really, really great uh, and adept at uh, with their own podcast. The first person who came to mind is the person I asked and who has graciously agreed to uh, host this podcast with me. This is someone who needs no introduction, although I will introduce him. He's been a friend, a colleague, and a mentor to me and to thousands upon thousands of clinicians, healthcare administrators, and leaders across the country and across the world. Uh, This is Scott Becker, who is the founder and publisher of the Becker's Healthcare and Becker's Hospital Review. He is an attorney, uh, a partner in McGuire Woods, a former board member of McGuire Woods. Mr. Becker also served as the chair of the National Healthcare Practice at McGuire Woods for more than 12 years. He is a graduate of the Harvard Law School and a CPA. And as I mentioned before, he is an awesome podcast host. I've had the privilege of being on his podcast, as well as attending many of his conferences and symposiums. So without further ado, uh, our friend and colleague, Scott Becker. Zev, thank you so much for in- inviting me to join you today on the Creating a New Healthcare podcast and to get a chance to interview and visit with you. Uh, for those of you listening, if you've gotten a chance to know Dr. Zev Neuwirth, uh, incredibly centered, incredibly bright, an inspiring person, and always willing to lend a hand to anybody's endeavor of any sort. Very few people that are as good as people as Zev Neuwirth. I get the pleasure today to talk to Zev about the Creating a New Healthcare podcast, talk about how he started this, how he got it going, what are some of the lessons he's had, what has he loved, and, and a lot more. Zev, why don't we jump into it? Take a moment and tell us how you got this started. How did you start creating a new healthcare podcast? Talk us through that a little bit. Thanks, Scott. I, it, I have to say, I've, I've got to get my interviewer hat off and, and just talk to you. You know, this didn't start as a podcast. It started about seven years ago. And uh, I wrote about this in the introduction to the book, Reframing Healthcare, uh, which was published in 2019. And, and what I shared in that intro, and, and this is the, the absolute truth about this 
podcast is a number of things happened to me in my career. I'd been in healthcare as a physician and internal medicine doctor practicing over 20 years, had gotten into administration as a clinical leader, and then into innovation and career design and quality improvement and population health and had been uh, just you know kind of moving along in my career and and really excited about what I was doing. But then, then a bunch of things happened. Some of them very very personal and uh, really uh, s- sort of made me step back and 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 ask the question: Is is do I need to be doing more here in healthcare to really um, inflect uh, and accelerate? The transformation of healthcare, and and what is it that I need to be thinking about, and 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 how do I need to be thinking about it? And so, I thought to myself, well, what do I do? Where do I learn about things that are happening that are really transformational, and uh, outside of my immediate scope, uh, where I where I'm working, and 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 my colleagues? And so, I began to literally call people up on the phone and say, listen. Um, you're an entrepreneur, you're a CEO, you're really doing something transformational. Actually, Scott, you, as you know, are one of those people I called, so you know this firsthand. And I said, do you mind if I, if I just tape our conversation because I want to record it and then transcribe it and really study what you're saying and really learn from you? And so I started to interview folks um, who are really creating just profound changes. And this, this wasn't hypothetical or theoretical. These were people who literally were transforming healthcare and making a difference in real time in a new and different way. And I just kept on doing this. And I was shocked at how moving and how engaging and just how exciting and how instructive uh, these conversations were people literally the people I, w- I was interviewing started to ask me for the uh, recordings for the mp4 files that i was recording and they were starting to distribute it and more people were calling me up and saying listen i, I heard you did a great interview with so and so uh you know could you share that with me and then finally someone just said you know have you thought about doing a podcast now this was about six years ago and so this was really in the early days of podcasting and i said Sure, I, I guess so. And, and so I had to learn how to do a podcast. At that point in time, it was really, you're on your own. And uh, there weren't a lot of people you can call up and say, could you help me start a podcast? And so I took an online course, literally an online course for about three months. I learned how to launch a podcast uh, from soup to nuts. And then the summer of, uh, it was August of 2017, I, I sat down and you know wrote out a few words and, and an outline. And I recorded a 17 minute you know monologue which was uh, episode number one and that's really how it started you're just fantastic and t- talk about this Zev you've got this incredibly creative mind you are an engaging person but with a tremendous amount of depth behind those engagement skills when, when you think about this you, you think about sort of in the Simon Sinek way what's your purpose what's your why in doing this I mean it's obviously a labor of love but but talk about is there a deeper purpose? Is there a why? And how do you look at that? The really short answer would be that my purpose is really to humanize healthcare. And by the way, and you know this because we've, we've talked about this before, I am in absolute awe of all the people in healthcare, whether it's doctors or nurses or, or PAs or techs or day in and day out, just absolutely in awe of, of, of the folks who are in healthcare and of some of the phenomenal work, as we've discussed, uh, that healthcare systems do. It's life-saving work each and every day. 
And yet at the same time, and this is really a concept I came to uh, along this journey is the notion of a dialectic. You know, this is the, this is what uh, the philosophers say is, is sort of the highest form of uh, sort of uh, intellectual integrity is to actually be able to hold two seemingly opposing ideas in your mind at the same time. And so why I am literally in awe of the people in healthcare and of what they do day in and day out. I'm also incredibly, incredibly frustrated and concerned about the system of healthcare as it is today and where it potentially is going. And so it's those two sort of that dialectic, those are two opposing thoughts that really sort of drive me. And, you know, I think my purpose is really to hopefully to inspire, motivate, uh, share ideas with folks and, and really to catalyze uh, change. And whether it's people who are already in the midst of change or people who want to change and or people who just want to learn where change is happening and so i mean that goes back to the reason i do the podcast it's purely for that reason and largely it's you know it's a matter of hope it's a matter of of keeping hope alive of talking to this community of uh people who are also interested in transforming healthcare. you know scott uh one question i get asked i'm, I'm sure you could ask this as well too and i'm sure lots of people are knocking at your door to be on your podcast People ask me the question, well, what's the criteria you use for selecting someone? And fortunately now, you know, do, you know, two or three or four times a week, someone is emailing me and asking if, if they could be on the podcast. And, and the question is, well, how do you select people? The answer is this. It's, uh, there's a lot of people doing a lot of great work, but for me, given my purpose and my goal and, and what I'm trying to do with the podcast, the type of change I'm looking for is transformational. And so there are three, there are essentially three types of change. And this is, this was pointed out by Deming and Duran, you know, in the last century, the, the gurus of process improvement and quality improvement, there's continuous improvement, which is critical. And it's most of what we have to be doing most of the time there's innovation. And while continuous improvement improves efficiency, innovation makes you more effective. There's a third type of problem solving that Deming and Duran and others talked about, and that's transformational problem solving. And transformational problem solving doesn't try to make something efficient, and it doesn't try to make something more effective. It actually redefines what it means to be effective and efficient. And that is the type of change that, and, and the type of person that I am looking for in these interviews, that transformational change driven by and this is so true of every single person I've interviewed and posted is driven by a singular purpose, which is to humanize healthcare, to make the experience of healthcare better for doctors and, and other providers and people in the system, nurses, and make it ultimately and primarily better for patients and their families, for our community and for our society. That's the type of person I interview, and that's the why, if you will. And and I think it's different. I'm I love a lot of podcasts. I listen to so many podcasts out there in healthcare that are about digital and 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 about the profound changes, or about value based care, or about the business of healthcare, or about the science of healthcare. All amazing. My purpose is a bit different. I am really looking for fundamentally humanitarian transformational change and the courageous leaders who are attempting to do that. Fantastic. You said so many things there that are so interesting that, that I'll tee out for just one moment. I love this comment on the system as a whole. There are so many great doctors, so many great PAs, so many great nurses, and so many great health systems, yet the overall system 
faces some hugely daunting challenges as we move to larger and larger populations and just not enough providers to keep up with that. You also talk about the three different models of innovation or, or of transformation, really looking at improvement, continuous improvement, sort of incremental continuous improvement, innovation, and then transformational, you know, changes that are truly transformational in a different category. And I found that a fascinating categorization as well. Let, let me talk to you about this question. This is a tough question for any sort of interviewer to answer because um, for, for, for failure to wanting to offend anybody and for certain people stand out, certain don't. But what guest in our stories that you've had a chance to visit on or talk with have stood out to you over the last several years? Give us a couple of the guests, a couple of the stories that have really stood out to you. That's a super, super tough question. So first of all, for folks who are listening, if any of you are folks that I've interviewed, I'll give you the really true Zev honest answer, which is my favorite interview is the one I most recently did. That is the person, and I, I say this because it is true and I mean it, and I don't know how to say it in any other way. I literally fall in love with every person whom I've interviewed and whom I've posted that interview to, to go through the, uh, the, all the work of actually posting it. I, I literally, in that process of, of preparing for the interview, speaking to them in depth about their story, uh, which I'd love to share with you. It, for me, it goes beyond just the, the, the content of what they're doing. It really is, is about them as a person. And then to spend the hours and hours afterwards to review those audios and to edit them and to look for quotes and to write it up, I literally fall in love with them. So I have loved each and every one that's posted. I'll just give you some quick examples, uh, even going back to the beginning. There was a kid who was in medical school and in medical school, he's looking around and he's seeing thousands and thousands of patients come, come into the medical center. He was there with multiple hospitals in Boston uh, on the Longwood uh, Avenue there where there's multiple hospitals and tens of thousands of people are coming in every day to see their doctors. And he has this crazy thought and he, and he asks himself the question, well, you know, with the technology we have today, would it be possible for us to actually go to the patient to do digital and virtual? And this was, this was about a dozen years ago he has this thought. This was 2009, 2010, maybe even a little before that. Has this crazy, crazy thought. He's a first-year medical student. And, and he decides that he's going to learn more about innovation and human-centered design. So he literally leaves medical school goes to uh, IDEO, the company that does the famous uh, classic company that does uh, design, and he spends a year or two at IDEO learning how to design. Then he realizes he really has to get better at digital and software, and he goes and spends a year or two in a software company understanding that. And then he forms his own company that offers the National Diabetes Prevention Program, preventing people who have prediabetes from actually getting full-blown diabetes. And he takes that brick-and-mortar 16-week program and he makes it completely virtual. Anyone anywhere in the world can access it as long as they have access to the internet. It is not only as good as the brick and mortar program, it's side by side in comparison and study, it actually in many ways is better. Uh, and he, he virtualizes it, he, he just adds a whole bunch of stuff that can only happen on, in a digital, he's got an online digital coach, it's asynchronous, you could do it anytime you want, get on. And, and this was, this literally opened up the era of digital health in a way no one to my mind or experience or knowledge had before. This kid, the first year medical student, his name is Sean Duffy, and he formed a company called Amada. 
And when I first learned and heard about him, and it was just about the time I was starting my podcast, maybe even a little before, it, it, it completely blew me away. I mean, and I can name Sean, then there's Chris Chen and his brother Gordon and his father and formed the Chen Med Company. Everyone else was running away from older, sicker Medicare patients because it wasn't as revenue producing. And these guys ran towards that community and they figured how to work MA and make it work. And, and you know, I'll tell you this, they make it work financially and it's an, a phenomenal, phenomenal practice. One of, it, it's the prototype of senior care. Uh, we should all be as lucky as that to, give, to be cared for by an organization like Chen Med. But what's, what's astounding to me is that the fundamental principle that they built it all on, and again, they have the most sophisticated analytics and software and predictive analytics. I think at one point I was interviewing Chris Chen and he told me they had more software analysts and data people than they actually had doctors. That's how sophisticated they are technologically. Um, it's an amazingly beautiful humanistic care model. But the thing was, he told me it was built on one thing. I said, what's that, Chris? And he said, he said to me, Zev, the difference between what we do and what you know a lot of other systems do is we built our model on love. We love our patients. And that's the fundamental principle. It's the Sean Duffy's, the Chris Chen's, Rashika Fernandepale was another one. Here's a kid who was sitting in his a young adult, I should say, was sitting in a clinic at Mass General Hospital one night. It was dark in Boston, after hours with his colleagues, spending hours in the, in the electronic medical record, documenting and billing from their day's work. And he just said, you know, his colleague turned to him and she said, another doctor, and she said to him, you know, Rashika, this is just soul sucking. And at that moment, something went off in him and he was just like, we have to completely rechange, you know, reframe healthcare. And he went and he founded Iora Health. On and on, stories like that. And what's interesting too, Scott, is I was actually reviewing, because I, I knew you were gonna ask me this question or something similar, and I, I reviewed the list of people I've interviewed. And what's astounding to me, it was, you know, it's folks like this, like Mike Lee and Sammy Inkinen and Alex Corrin and got on and on and on, Jenny Schneider, who went outside the system. But when I looked at it side by side, I've actually interviewed more leaders in healthcare systems than outside of them. And it's like people like Dave Shulkin, who is the secretary of the VA system under, um, he worked under uh, President Obama, and then he worked under uh, President Trump. It's Steve Clasco, whom you know from, from Jefferson, who's an amazing, was an amazing CEO, who's now moved on to doing something different. But, you know, here's a guy who, who said to me as I'm talking to him, he said, yeah, we purchased a design school. We partnered with a design school. So actually, when you come to our medical center now, the medical students actually can get a degree in design thinking. You know, Vivian Lee, um, Chris Crow, I mean, Peggy O'Kane, the, the CEO of NCQA, Mandy Cohen, who was Secretary of the Department of Health uh, here in North Carolina, uh, Ben Kligler, I mean, on and on, Tony Slalom, Don Berwick, Eric Topol, uh, Will Schrank, who's the Chief Medical Officer of Humana, I mean, these are people who are in the system and I, I don't know exactly how they do it, but they are just as transformational as the folks that are outside of it. And so I, I know that was a long-winded answer, but I, I could literally, there are, there are hundreds of these stories I could tell. Each one is just, to my mind, a heroic journey, um, literally heroic. Um, these are people who, who just had this idea, this reframe, this complete reorientation of what healthcare can do and should do for humanity, and then had the courage, the courage to be different. 
and and Scott, you know this because because you're a, a phenomenal interviewer, and I, I know this because you've interviewed me. I sit there and literally my my jaw drops with each interview as I'm listening to them, and I'm I'm like it's like it's like the Odyssey, it's like Odysseus, it's like any hero. It's like how did you leave home the safety and the comfort, and you were doing so well and and so set, and and you decided to go out and 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 just you know, on this discovery and diverge from what everyone else is thinking and doing. And then to have the commitment to persevere, because these are not, you know, weekend activities. These are activities and initiatives and efforts that are multi, multi-year journeys. And to, and to have that sort of operational commitment and, the, and to bring the technology into it, just I literally, it, it is the highlight of my week when I get the chance to sit with the headphones on and, and just peer into these just courageous, heroic, they're almost like supernovas. I mean, they're just, it, it's, for me, it's, it's more inspiring than any movie or any play or any book I could sit with. It, it, and, and what you said is so true. It's such a great, you are yourself such a great learner as well. Like you're, you're a lifelong learner and this ability to talk with people, to be inspired, to learn. Uh, resonate so well with you, and you could hear that. And and I love this concept that the interviewee I love the most, the guest I love the most, is the one I just talked to because I've just had a chance to to love talking to that person, love getting to hear their story and what they're doing. Talk a little bit about Zev, some of the lessons you've learned. I mean, and obviously when you talk about the Chens and what they've done, and they hear not-for-profit systems talk about how great a compliment they've been to their not-for-profit system, the Chen Med system, and their efforts just fascinating. Talk for a moment about what are a couple of the lessons you've learned from the podcast? I would love to actually hear your reflection on these in particular as well. I mean, I think one thing is very, very clear. It's this, and this is literally, there isn't one interviewee I've spoken to who's disagreed with this. In fact, many are ardent supporters of the fact that we, we really need to transition to uh, maybe not completely, but transition to some sort of value-based care payment model in healthcare. The purpose, the cause of healthcare is to prevent and to be proactive. That's what you or I would want, right? Um, I was just talking to a colleague and and asking them the question. It's like we do we we're working right now on a hospital at home and have this amazing, amazing program, and are pouring in, uh, you know, investing in it and have been investing in it as many others across the country. And it's, it's phenomenal. I'm, I'm, it's part of my daily work as well. Uh, and I love it and support it, but there is this question of, you know, could we, and should we be taking a certain percentage of our investment, uh, in R and D and, and wouldn't it be nice to actually create a home-based care ecosystem where we actually prevent people from getting to the point where they need to go into a hospital. And so this doesn't negate any of the work we're doing. It just, it just, sort of, I think, widens the aperture. And, and that can only happen. Those sorts of, of, of investments can only really happen fully in a model of care where you're, you're paid in some sort of value-based care mode as opposed to a fee-for-service volume mode. And so I've heard that, and that's been a lesson. And, and you know, we, we could probably could spend a lot of time talking about that. Uh, the, I think another big thing I've learned is is how critical the non-clinical determinants of health are. And 
uh, this refers to the so-called social determinants of health, like education and, uh, and work and income and transportation. It refers to, uh, I think, cultural factors and, and racial issues. And again, I think we've all been super educated or, or at least educated and informed and become aware of in the, in the last two or three years how serious and big of an influencer is uh, that is races in uh, healthcare treatment and healthcare outcomes and how important it is for us to actually become aware of that. And I, I would, again, uh, uh, sort of categorize that as a, a non-clinical determinant of health. And, and then there are other contextual factors as well that we, we typically don't pay enough attention to. I was just doing a phenomenal interview with uh, Laguna Health and they, they've hired two scientists who spent the past 20 years recording doctor-patient interactions and then looking at what doctors miss that get patients into trouble and they call them contextual factors and they're things like you know even emotionality you get discharged from a hospital and you're upset you're anxious you're scared uh maybe you, you know you you don't have the money to pay for uh your electricity bill your refrigeration medications maybe the person who was your caregiver is no longer your caregiver something changes in your environment so these sorts of contextual factors aren't factors we actually monitor and look at uh enough we're just beginning to but i would suggest and the lesson i've learned is that these are not um ancillary issues these are not even complementary issues these are core critical issues that have to be treated as seriously as the medical ones because the science tells us that they actually have just as big if not a bigger impact on how our healthcare interventions are going to work out and how healthcare outcomes are, are, are achieved or not and so we have to shift our mindset away from thinking about them as oh yeah i, I did that once a year you know 12 question social determinants of health thing. And so I checked that box. I don't think that's going to be not even close to sufficient. And I've learned that over the last year or so, as I've interviewed folks, I think another lesson is sort of around what we were talking about is sort of this people system conundrum, that dialectic and the, the notion that and someone just just posted this on on LinkedIn yesterday. Um, you know, they said they asked me a question. They said, you know, you know, they, they were saying, I, you know, I'm thinking about writing and and getting out there. Do you think it's worth it? Do you think people are listening? Do you think people want change? And I, and I was like, first of all, you you don't write for others. You write for yourself. You know, you write to learn and to grow and and to understand. But second of all, absolutely, I I think that I think people want change. Um, I think they're they're just trying to figure out how to do it in a way that that's doable and possible. But I think the lesson I've learned is that it actually is doable and possible. That your current circumstances, whether you're in a healthcare system or you know on the payer side or in a a startup, uh, you know, or in, in in literally in a retail shop, wherever you are and you're working in healthcare the environment you're in the situation in, that you're in does not does not define you or limit you it and i've seen this because i've i've heard from people who have been able to create change in the most remarkable ways in the most challenging of situations and i mean even like you know i was just thinking about um harris rosen right he's a interesting guy down in florida um actually worked for the disney folks for a bunch of years early on his career he's now over 80 left disney because uh he 
can deal with the large corporate structure there at the time and um, started his own hotel chain. So he's got, he's got a huge uh, hotel chain down in Florida doing very well and continues to do really well. But uh, he was really, really concerned about the health of his employees. A lot of the employees are, are immigrants, uh, you know, uh, uninsured, Medicaid, et cetera, don't have a lot of money. And he started uh, his own healthcare system within his hotel chain. It's, you know, more than a clinic, more than an employee clinic. It's a full service. He actually sends, if, if one of his employees is giving birth in the hospital, he will send uh, doulas and care managers, you know, before the birth, in the hospital, after the birth, helping the mother, because he thinks it's the right thing, um, both from a, a healthcare perspective and a humanistic perspective. And also, it, it, it turns out it's the right thing to do as an employer. I mean, he does it with people with chronic uh, medical problems, um, anyone who's hospitalized with surgery. It's just this full service care. He literally will have the clinic reach out and, and drive people to, into the clinic if they can't make it there. They're obviously doing telehealth now. They reach out again if the, if the person goes to hospital to, to help them navigate the system. I mean, he, here's a guy who didn't have to do this, but you know, he's a hotel guy. What does he know about healthcare? Um, but he knew enough and, and it was really about the purpose and the cause. And you know, he, he, his story too is so fascinating because he grew up on the Lower East Side of Manhattan in a, in a poor neighborhood um, without a lot of money and somehow had this sort of humanitarian, you know, principle instilled in him by his, his mom. And um, I mean, he, told, he told me that story even as we were talking that it was really, you know, his mom and his dad that, that taught him about, you know, taking care of others. And, um, and, and lending a hand, you know, a helping hand to get, help people elevate themselves. And so, you, you know, if, if Harris, if, if Harris Rosen can do it in a hotel chain, and by the way, it, the story even gets more fascinating. This is, this is how you, how can you not love uh, these individuals? So he decided, uh, you know, after he made his money and um, he decided he was going to do something for the community and, and he thought initially it was going to open a community center. But then the people in the community there, he was a poor uh, city down there uh, in Florida, uh, near Orlando. And um, they said, you know, we, we really, what we really need, and, and this was 25 years ago, I'm just going to say 25 years ago, what they said to him is we really need some help with education. And so he hired some folks who understood uh, the importance of education. They helped guide him and he started a program, which just outstanding where he, he guaranteed any child in that, in that town would have pre-K education. The moms could drop the child off at the Rosen Education Center, full day pre-K, started the kid out. The kids went, uh, when they went through school, grade school, and then middle school and high school, they were given a, a guidance counselor, his guidance counselor who guided them, um, sort of a coach, a tough love person. And if they graduated high school and they wanted to go to college, he would pay for all tuition, all books, you know, all, everything they needed in college without them having to pay back. So it was pre-K during their education and then paying for college. He started this 20, over 25 years ago before, I mean, who knew about pre-K and the importance of pre-K? He did. And he set this up. And the most astounding thing about it was it completely, this is 25 years later, completely transformed the community 
It was an, it's a down and out community, lots of, of drugs and no one wanted to live there. It's at the point now with their, the kids who, who he actually put through pre-K and pay for the college have now moved back having their own kids and their kids are now going through his program. And this is a completely replicable, scalable program that could be happening across the country. And again, when you listen to these stories and it's, it's like, wow, if, if they can do that, I mean, anyone could do anything in any situation. And it's really just a matter of, of that purpose. And, um, and I'll say, well, I don't want to make it too simple. I mean, I don't even understand where people get the courage the courage to do these things and to follow up. But th those are some of the th lessons I learned. What, what do you think about that, Scott? No, I think that's fantastic. I think it's so fascinating to work through these things. You talk about things like value-based care, preventive care, social determinants of health, um, you know, in, 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 in this mix of technology, preventive health, and workforce, because workforce is so important as well. And then you look at, you know, you, you look at systems in countries that have moved totally towards preventive health, often out of necessity because they just don't have enough doctors, nurses, PAs, clinicians, et cetera, that they have no choice. Uh, but, but it reminds you that, well, it is a great goal and we need to make progress towards it. We also do need to make sure that we've got enough nurses, doctors, clinicians, and workforce too to go with these transformative changes because India is a great example of a country that moved towards total preventive health uh, but what they found was when COVID got really bad, they just didn't have enough providers on the back end to take care of their people. And that's a horrible spot to be in, too. So trying to mix these two things of preventive health plus a big enough workforce that we could really take care of people when preventive doesn't always work uh, it, and it doesn't solve all problems. It's really it's really it is complicated, but it is this mix of technology and people and systems. And, and obviously the heroic stories of people that make a difference like whether it's Harris Rosen or others are, are so important and inspirational too. I, I do I do think there is this constant transformative effort and then trying to separate the wheat from the chaff. What's truly value-based care, what's truly preventive care versus what's another money-making scheme by an insurance company or, or by a company. You know, it just reminds me of a urology practice recently approached my parents their quote was, we're going to do a preventive thing for my father, who's 89. Uh, you know, they're going to call him once a month to see if he's doing this or that. They're going to charge him like a concierge fee for it. And, and it didn't feel very preventive. It felt much more like it's just a money-making scheme. And so trying to separate these two things is, to me, it's, it's, it's more complex than it should be as to what's out there and what people are trying to do. And, and, and to separate, you know, those that have come to value-based care for the right reasons or those that have come to value-based care because it's a way to make a lot more money when there's not as many procedures done. I, I think there's, there's a complexity to it that, that needs some discussion, but I, I couldn't agree with you more on the thesis that we've got to move towards preventive care, value-based care, as long as we've got enough technology and people as well to, to take care of people too. Zevin, I, and I absolutely, you mentioned your, your I saw your post in link, on LinkedIn about writing and, and clarifying in it and using writing is almost a personal journaling thing as well. And if people want to read it, they want to read it, but it's so important to your own centeredness and clarity about your own thinking. And I could not agree with that more. This concept that unless you're a commercial writer, you write for yourself as much as anybody. And, uh, and it is what it is. I, I, I love that. I love that post. And I love that thinking. But let me ask you another question. You with your LinkedIn post of the episodes often post a quote 
tell us a little bit about some of your favorite quotes and things that resonate with you. I'll keep this this response brief. The one uh, is one that that I heard recently in the last three or four months, and I, I don't think I punctuate it when I first heard it, but well, there, there are two, and I'll, I'll share with the first one with you. Uh, this one was by Don Berwick, and and I have to say, um, the so what he said was we were we were talking. I, I was interviewing him about three or four months ago, and he's he's amazing. I, I think he's one of the greatest minds and humanitarians in, 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 in healthcare and in our society. Um, he was talking about, and he's obviously spent a lot of time in DC as, uh, the administrator for, uh, for, uh, CMS and, and, and still spends a lot of time in DC working with, uh, with a lot of groups there. And he said, you know, Zev, here's the thing, you know, the, and we were talking about the future. He said, the status quo has a lot of lobbyists, but a better future has very few. And I, I actually didn't, he said it and I didn't pick up on it. And then I, as I was listening to the audio in preparation for the, the, you know, the copy and all that, I'm posting it. I just came over that, came back to that, that quote. And I have to say, I've, I've used that over and over again in so many different ways within healthcare and about leadership. It's the status quo has lots of lobbyists. And I think he was speaking very, very literally, right? But I think it's metaphorical as well, is that, you know, it, it has a lot of lobbyists. The, the future and a better future is very few. And I think it's, you know, I think the folks that, uh, that you know, I've interviewed and I think the you know, folks you interview, I think, I think they're really lobbyists for a better future. And, and I think you're absolutely right, Scott. I, I, I think it is, the challenge is that, um, you know, it's not that clear cut and there's a lot of nuance to it and you know you have to almost be surgical and how careful about what it is you're disrupting and and what it is you're creating that's the one i keep on coming back to but but i, lo I love that concept that the status quo you know if you look at today there are huge lobbying associations whether for the insurance companies the hospital association the physicians associations they're all necessary uh but for the future for clarity clearly for the future they're not aren't necessarily lobbying organizations, you know, unless one of these groups has a vested interest in some future they want to see uh, for their own reasons, whether humanitarian or economic. And I think that is a great quote. And Don Berwick, I could not agree with you more about brilliance and being a good person, hitting those both buckets really well. But let me ask you another question. What continues to surprise you or excite you about things you hear on the podcast? What, what sort of surprises or excites you? or both? I think the, the one thing I am most surprised about in doing these interviews over the past five years is, is really uh, not so much about the, and I'm super excited about what's happening in healthcare and, and, and the transformations and the outcomes and where it's going, but the thing I've been most surprised about, and and maybe even, to, you know, to answer your question, the thing that is really, really most exciting is is to really have this sort of intimate. It, it, I was going to say front row seat, but it's even beyond front row seat to to really be in this dialogue on the stage, if you will. Um, with these folks 
who are, are, who are really leaders and really heroic and on a journey. And there's, you know, these, these, these aren't, you know, armchair type of folks. These, these are folks who they're, they're in the stadium, they're on the field. You know, many of them have left the comfort of their, you know, traditional, you know, roles and jobs. And I was talking to someone, or actually I was reading a book about entrepreneurs and, and they painted this image of, uh, and this was written by, by someone who, who went through this and is an entrepreneur where it's, it's almost like, you know, you, you live in the village and, and surrounded by these huge stone walls and, and it's protected and it's warm and, and, you know, you're safe. And then as an entrepreneur, you know, uh, as this sort of leader, you, you actually have to leave those walls and, and go out into the wilderness and the reality you're living in is different. Um, and I, th I think for me, that's the most exciting thing is to, to really be able to learn about and to visualize and to even experience with these folks that journey. And often I have the chance to go back and, and speak with folks more than once or, or follow them along the course of time. And it's, you know, inspiring doesn't even come close to explaining it. It is like, I can't even imagine like a, people talk about, you know, these sorts of once in a lifetime experiences and out in nature or something like that. To me, it's, this is literally like watching a supernova or something like that, watching a, a new universe is being created. It's just, I, I don't even, I'm not sure I could actually put into words, but that for me is the most exciting part. And the reason it's exciting is I think it's, it, to me, it, it's a message over and over again that, that we actually can change. You know, there's lots of reasons for not changing. There's lots of good reasons and safe reasons and lots of cautions. And, but the notion that we have to wait or we can't, or we don't have enough of this, or we don't have enough of that, or it's other people. I think when I hear the stories, all of that, it, it flies in the face of all of that. And I, I find it incredibly, incredibly encouraging and hopeful. And to know that there's a large and growing community. And what's astounding is, you know, I told you about that story about Sean, who had this reframe as a first year medical student 10, 12, 13 years ago. You know, what's, what's really exciting is I just met a young guy, uh, his name is Alex Harb, and he formed a company called Lena Health. And here's a guy too, just the beginning of his career, the very beginning of his career, thought he was going to go be a doctor, had a little bit of a, had, I guess he had a technology background, but he, he went back in, went, or went to, you know, back to grad school, got more of a digital technology background spent a year or two in, in the hospital system at Texas Medical Center doing nothing but observing, observing and learning and studying, saw a, a major problem with the elderly, that the elderly didn't know how to navigate the healthcare system, um, and decided he was going to devote his life and his career to helping the elderly navigate the healthcare system. I mean, you know, the fact that I could talk to Sean about his story 13 years ago and all of a sudden find another person like that just today and it's happening in real time and i'm thinking to myself oh my god how amazing is this world that we have these people these creators these humanitarians who literally i mean this guy could have got he's 
brilliant, right? Alex Harb is brilliant. He could have gone to medical school, could have been a doctor, could have been anything he wanted to. Um, and he decides he's going to devote his life to helping the elderly. And I, I asked him that question. I said, Alex, where, where does that even come from, that, that, that sense of things where you were looking and looking and there's so many things in the hospital you could have fixed from a digital technology perspective, but you chose that. And he said, Zeph, you know, I grew up in South America and in my culture, my grandparents lived with us and we took care of our grandparents. And I know firsthand how important that is as they get older, that they have family, they have someone around them. And when I was in the hospital systems and watching and seeing how lonely, isolated uh, these older folks were, how they couldn't navigate what, you know, a complex system that, that no one can navigate easily. It's, it's just, you know, it's, it's, I was talking, right. I mean, I was talking to the chief medical officer of humanity he said, he can't figure out the medical bills. You know, if the chief medical officer of, of the largest or one of the largest payers in the country can't figure it out, how is it as an 85 year old sitting in a hospital bed, trying to figure out the system or at home after they've been discharged. And, and here's Alex Harb. And with that huge heart and with that amazing mind and that skill, and this is what he's going to devote his life to. And so for me, that's the most exciting thing is that to see new generations literally every single day, every single week, every single month come and, and, you know, try to make this world a better place. It, that's the core of it. The, the, the technological stuff, yes, it's exciting. The business stuff is interesting and exciting and it's, it's all important. But for me, that's, that is the most energizing, exciting part of this podcast journey. Thank you. And just fantastic, Zev. Talk for a moment about the following. We're in this sort of daunting situation, 330 million people. We've got nurses and doctors leaving the workforce. We don't have enough residency spots. Systems are finding reimbursement as relatively capped, but inflation is through the roof. When you look at all these things, aging population, lesser amount of doctors, more technology, What's your overall gut, gut sense about healthcare? Are you concerned? Are you hopeful? Are you pessimistic? You know, how do you look at this? So th the short answer is I am beyond hopeful. If I had a hope or a wish, I wish that I were just starting out in healthcare um, because I've been in healthcare for over 30 years. I have never in my lifetime or in this, in this arc that I know about healthcare, which goes back to the 1960s, I've never, ever, ever seen a moment in time that is more exciting, more hopeful, more full of possibilities, uh, and more ready for change than this exact moment. Um, we have, I mean, first of all, I mean, the awareness we have, again, talking about the non-clinical determinants of health and the cultural determinants of health and the social determinants of health and the political determinants of health, that just that awareness, the awareness that we have that, you know, we do need to actually shift to a payment model that is, is more consistent with preventive proactive care. The fact that we have technology now, the, the digital technology, the artificial intelligence, the NLP, on and on and on that technology, which is so powerfully enabling and Eric Topol, who I've had the chance to interview, I mean, he nailed it. I mean, he said, Zev, you know, I'm telling you, people think that digital and technology separates human beings and nothing could be farther from the truth. It is the enabler of humanity and we can use this. So, you know, you were talking a moment before Scott about, about the, you know, the fact that we, we do, uh, we do need more nurses. We do need more doctors. Well, what if we, 
didn't have the doctors and nurses spending most of their time doing work that a machine could do automatically, faster, better, more reliably, we know that we could probably take off hours a day from nurses and doctors and PAs and even techs. We, we could, we, and we could do this now. The, the, that's the amazing thing. The technology is literally almost off the shelf uh, at this point, and it's just advancing so quickly. Those are the answers, right? That's, that's where this is going to fundamentally change is the, the enablement of the technology and what it can do for us. But when you put all that together, and I think I have to say, you know, I'm, obviously, you know, I have a bias towards transformation and reframing, and I, I do think that is absolutely critical. Um, there is a reframe roadmap that, that we, we, we need to follow, and, and I've observed in, in so many of these interviews I've done. But I look at the leaders. I can say this honestly and sincerely. When I look at hospital leaders, uh, administrators, clinical leaders, uh, when I look at uh, the payer side, and I look at those leaders, um, uh, both clinical and non-clinical, financial. I, I just gave a talk at the HFMA, the Health Finance Management Association. Just when I look at all the leaders we have, when I look at the technologic leaders, I have never, ever, ever seen a moment where the leaders are just beyond capable. They are superstars. I mean, they are smart. They are brilliant. They are experienced. They are aware. They're you know, they're motivated by the right things. We have the leadership, we have the skill and capability, we have the technology, we have the money. We are in an amazing, amazing moment of abundance in healthcare. It is staring us in the face. And I think what we, the, the catalyst, and I, I think this really, Scott, this kind of goes, you know, people ask me all the time, like, well, why do you do that podcast? So you know, are you trying to sell something? Are you, do you make money? Do you have sponsors? And I wish I could say yes to those questions. I'm not opposed to any of that, but the truth is I do it because I know that all we need is a catalyst is we need a catalyst to inspire and, and we need multiple catalysts to inspire all the abundance we have in our leaders and our technology and our resources, our clinicians are again, I, I mean, you can't say enough about the people who do healthcare each and every day. I mean, their, their strength. I mean, I spent 20 years as a clinician actually seeing patients day in and day out. I don't know how people do it. It is such hard work emotionally, intellectually, even physically, and yet people do it and they continue to do it. It is just, we have it all. We just need to start to direct it. I think there's, these are small shifts. I don't think these are massive shifts. I mean, Scott, a moment ago, we were talking about resources and, and directing resources and change and doing change without being too disruptive. I'm talking about what if we took, I mean, all we have to take is one or two or 3% of uh, the revenue we get and start directing it in a different direction, even if it was a fraction of a percent. If we started off with that, I think the change would be, you know, it's, it's like that, that, that graph where, you know, you make that slight inflection and over time, the inflection becomes huge that's the way change is likely to happen. And again, it's these small nudges. And that's why I keep on talking. And more importantly, that's why I keep on listening uh, to the people who are doing it and pointing a light on those people and, and those places and those initiatives and those efforts. Because I think the more we talk about it and the more we, we champion it and the more we highlight it and the more we appreciate it, the more we're going to see other people doing it. And that's why I do this. Just remarkable what you do, and, and it's, it's been remarkable to watch the growth of the Creating a New Healthcare podcast, and it's always remarkable to watch you 
Zev, what's next in the journey? In the journey, what what's next in your podcast journey? In your journey? Yeah, I think. Thanks for asking that. Um, and that's a tough question. You know, it's been five years, and I've been talking about change and 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 reframing and transformation. You know, Scott, I feel like there is a change coming on. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it exactly is, but um, but I feel like there's something more or something different I can be doing with the podcast and, and, and more again, the, the podcast is, is a channel. Um, and I don't know if there are other channels or other ways I do. One of the things I'm working on is expanding the listenership. And I, again, it's, it's not a matter of, I don't have sponsors, so it's not about that per se. It's just, I, I think these stories are again, so inspiring and so amazing and so encouraging and so hopeful. And I think so catalytic, my goal is to get these stories out there in a way that is accessible to more people and more leaders uh, to really help them in terms of creating this sort of transformational change. And so I don't know what that looks like yet, but that's sort of something that only has been stirring in me in the last, I would say, you know, a few months and even more so in the last few weeks that I've begun to think how how do I make myself a better instrument of that? Now I will say, and I think you probably, you, I, I suspect you understand this implicitly. Definitely. The one thing I know is I, I do not want to give up interviewing people and, and listening to people and telling their stories. Um, you know, there is actually, it's funny that quote, the second quote I was thinking about sort of answers this question a little bit, but this person I was interviewing this, these folks from Laguna Health, the scientist who's been working on contextual care, actually two scientists, and uh, Saul Wiener, he, we were talking about contextual care, and he said, you know, Zev, I learned, he, he's an internal medicine doctor, and he said, I learned this from one of my internal medicine mentors who taught me the greatest way you can show others that you care is to ask a question. There is no other greater form of caring. Just ask a question. And I did that quote, actually, that statement blew me away. In fact, I, I said to him, you know, could you say that again? And, and they said, you know, the best way to show you care is to ask a question. And I think, Scott, what's next is I'm going to continue to show I care by asking questions and sharing those dialogues with others. Zev, just fantastic. You know, you're, you're just uh, incredibly centered, incredibly positive, incredibly inspiring. Uh, you inspire me. I, I appreciate so much you allowing me to take the time to visit with you today and, and get a chance to interview you about your podcast, uh, Creating a New Healthcare uh, what a phenomenal effort, and, and what a what a life's work you put into it as you put into everything you do. Just simply amazing. Zev Newarth, doctor, thank you so much for uh, allowing me to visit with you. Well, well, Scott, I admire you so much and respect you so much and can't tell you how much I appreciate you. I mean, you've really been a, a major inflection in healthcare in, in our lifetime with everything that you've done. Um, again, very much like the other heroes I've been talking about, you didn't have to do this. You had a phenomenally, you know, fabulous career 
and uh, you became a leader in in so many ways. So uh, just an unbelievable, unbelievable honor for me to have you talk with me in this way and ask me questions uh, about this podcast. Um, and, and Scott, as you know, I, I end each uh, each session, each uh, interview, uh, talking to the folks out there by thanking all of you out there who are doing the hard work each and every day, uh, taking care of patients and those of you who are supporting those who are taking care of patients. Uh, again, can't tell you how important what you do is. Uh, recognize how hard it is, but also how critically important it is to the individuals you care for, their families, the communities, and quite honestly, our society. So Scott, can't thank you enough. Uh, my friends, this is Zev Newworth on Creating a New Healthcare. You've been listening to the fifth anniversary uh, episode of Creating a New Healthcare. Until next time, be safe and be well. <laughs>